are now listening to a very special message from Joy Community Church. A very happy birthday today and also Corwin Marsh. Everybody wave at Corwin. And I wanted to truly thank each one of you who prayed with me um, for my trip and my recovery afterwards. What you did mattered. And I'm truly, truly grateful. And I'll tell you more about that some other time. But today, we're continuing on in our series in Ephesians. So, if there was a pop quiz right now, just by a show of hands, how many could tell me what the overarching theme of Ephesians is? Don't say anything, just tell me. Okay, we might need to re-nail that shingle, right? <laughs> okay, the overall theme of this book is the glory of God in the church. And it's reflected in several important subtopics, one of which, unity, um, Bill covered so beautifully last week. I'm not sure if you remember it or not, but a couple of years ago, I did a sermon on the glory of God after about a year-long study of that. And I've never been more excited. Once you dig in and really see what his glory is, you get a clearer glimpse of it. I mean, wow, every synapse in you will be snapping. It's just so exciting. And I recommend to you sometime take a particular aspect of God's character or one of his attributes and really study it at length. Your eyes will be opened. It was just thrilling, and I recommend it, but it gets better because in this book, we see a whole different facet of that gem, the glory of God in us, his church. Better news yet is he's going to tell us how to go about being that glorious bride that he looks for. He doesn't leave us guessing. So somebody say, that's good news. You don't want to be left guessing. So in a minute or two, we're going to read verse 10 and 17 of chapter 5, both of which encourage us to find out what pleases God. So much of our thinking is what pleases me, right? Me, 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 it's all about me. What pleases me? What do I want? What's on my to-do list? What's on my bucket list? And there's some value in that. But how often do we ask, what does God really want? What's on his bucket list? What is he dreaming of? In Jeremiah 30, verse 21, the Lord asks us, for who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? He's looking for that person. Who is it that will concern themselves with making my dreams come true? And when I hear that, something in me just leaps up with the enthusiasm of a third grader says, ooh, 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 pick me, pick me. I want to be about that. I want to do that. I want to help in that way. Let's be that kind of Christian. That kind of church that answers his heart cry and brings him the bride he longs for. And who is that bride that his glory emanates from? 
So say with me, shine through me, Lord. Shine through me. Yes, Lord, shine through us today. But how? How? We're going to find that out right now. So turn with me to Ephesians. We're going to start reading at verse 1 and go to verse 21. And it says this. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Lord is longing for his bride and for her to shine gloriously. Not only are we to stop doing wrong, we saw that in verses 3 and 4, right? Stop immorality, impurity, greed, foolish talk, obscenity, and coarse joking, but we're to shine brightly in every aspect of our lives. Did you notice how many different locations Paul references in chapter five? The temple, the field, the marketplace, the banquet hall, and finally the home. It's clear that we're to shine in all the areas of our lives as we imitate Christ. Let's read verse one and two again because it sets the tone for this whole chapter. It says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, 
and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As Christians, we should take nothing less than Jesus as our model for our lives and not be content until we reflect him. Be imitators of him. The Greek word means to mimic, mimic him, mimic what he does and says, mimic his character, mimic his attitude, everything about him. And it doesn't happen on the first try. Rick Renner, a Greek scholar, said, this is best translated, be constantly in the process of becoming more like God, making it your aim to act like him, to duplicate him, and to exactly copy him in every area of your life. And all that begins with a decision, doesn't it? a decision to imitate him more closely. I'm wondering how many by the end of today will be willing to make that decision to walk more closely with him, imitating him. Be constantly in the process of imitating him. Perhaps that's why he tells us to be continually filled, continually filled with his spirit so that we will have the power to do so. One of the things I like to do is I like to paint. Does anybody else here like to paint? Sherry back there, yes, Ellen, quite a few people. Sandy, a lot of people like to paint. Well, I was thinking about if I was asked to paint a person who represents our society, and we know we can't fully do that, we're all individuals, but if if I had to paint one person that represented our society as a whole, the way I would depict them is their head would be kind of cocked. I can't do it, so you just have to imagine it. Their head would be cocked in attitude. Their chin would be jutted out. Their fist clenched. Maybe a mirror in one hand and a selfie stick in the other. And they'd be strutting, right? I'm not a good strutter, but they'd be strutting. That's how I picture our society seems to overall have that demeanor. Strut your stuff and don't take no guff, right? Show them who's boss. Just, and we look at this, we watch these things, and we point at that person and say, wow, that's a strong man or woman. Wow, they're going to go far. Look at them strutting. Look how they carry themselves. They're going to go far in life. We admire it. The media's big on it. But is that really what we're to imitate? The thing is, Jesus doesn't strut. He stoops. Can I tell you about my Jesus? He stooped all the way from heaven down to earth to be with us. He stooped to love on little children. He stooped to pay attention to the lowly, the least. He stooped to listen to those that had no voice. He stooped to feed the multitudes. He stooped to heal. He stooped to raise up the dead. He stooped to forgive and to free, to encourage and inspire. He stooped to wash filthy feet. 
he stooped. He stooped to pray. He stooped to eat with sinners. And he stooped to yank my life out from the pit. He stooped to write in the sand and lift up a woman who was caught in sin, which, by the way, is all of us. He stooped right up till his final day when he was on the cross. Even then, he was stooping down to give his mother into John's care. He stooped. The only one who ever was entitled to strut didn't. The most powerful, and yes, I said powerful, one of all times never strutted. He stooped down low his whole life long. That's my Jesus. Is that your Jesus? That's our Jesus. That's the one we're to imitate. Am I right? Look to the living portrait of Jesus in the servants around you and paint according to that image. So let me ask, who are you imitating? When you look at your life on an everyday basis, who are you really imitating? Is it a sports hero? Is it a music mogul? A movie star, a relative? Is it anybody other than Jesus? And if it is Jesus, are you a fan or a follower? Is he your good luck charm, your insurance policy, or your Lord? Who is he to you? Do you only admire him or are you pressing in to imitate him in more and more and more areas of our lives? because none of us have it perfectly, but are we pressing in to imitate him, thereby reflecting his glory as his beautiful bride? Say to somebody next to you, you're part of his bride. Oh, you didn't sound too excited. You're part of his bride. We are to imitate Christ by walking in love and purity. Bill made mention of this last week in chapter 4, verse 2, that says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. We're to walk in love, verses 1 to 7. Verses 8 to 14 are walking in the light. Don't have any part of the fruitless deeds of darkness. The days are evil. And, you know, I think somebody needs to hear that this morning. You might be in a situation where you're at a crossroads and the Lord's coming to you today by his Holy Spirit and saying, don't have anything to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. Fruitless means it's going to get you nowhere. It's not going to get you to where you want to be. Don't have anything to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Walk in the light. We're also to walk in wisdom, continually filled with the Spirit. That's verses 15 to 21. And that's like a crash course through Ephesians 5. And these are all so important. The Lord is longing for his bride and for her to shine gloriously. There's so much there. There's enough there for sermons for a month of Sundays, right? I encourage you to study it further. But right now, we need to turn our focus to verses 21 to 33, which are perhaps the most challenging, 
and misunderstood. And that's those speaking on submission. So we're going to continue reading from verse 21 to verse 33. But did you just feel that in the room? Did you feel the blood pressure? When I, when I mentioned submission, all of a sudden there was this hush and I felt the blood pressure of the whole room collectively kind of go up 10 degrees. It's okay, take a breath. Don't get your parsnips in a pickle. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna answer some questions and we're all gonna be fine when we come out of this. No worries. So let's continue reading where we left off in verse 21 and continue through the end of the chapter. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The first thing that I'd like to talk about in that section is what submission is not. And that's where I think we can clear up a lot of things. What submission is not. Submission is not saying that some have less value. All people are equal at the foot of the cross. Galatians 3, 26 to 28 says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So no person has more or less value than anyone else. Do you believe that? Yes. You need to believe that. That's foundational at joy. It doesn't matter what your uh, status is, what your pocketbook says. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are, how old you are your age, your race, your ethnic, it doesn't matter. All people are of equal value, all people. So submission is not saying that some are more valuable than others, just not true. It's also not saying that some have lesser capabilities. It's not saying that some are less intelligent or less wise and somehow need a babysitter to oversee their lives. That's not what it means. He spent his life preaching to convince you of your worth, 
of your gifts, of your capabilities, of your abundant strength in him. So if you're asked to submit, it's not a reflection of your capabilities. It's not a slam against you. Sometimes, even when we're asked to submit to someone, you might have greater capabilities even than that individual. Think about it. If a a traffic policeman stops you, pulls you over for speeding, are you going to say to him, "Uh, excuse me, sir, show me your uh, high school report card, and I'll let you know if I'm going to pay the ticket. We'll we'll see how smart you are. Or what's your IQ? Or how well do you keep your lawn? Or anything else. It has absolutely nothing to do with your capabilities. But if you don't get that, when somebody asks you to submit, there's something kind of rises up in you and says, well, wait a minute here, bud. I know more than you about this and that. And and it raises something up in us when it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with authority. It's not slamming your capabilities when you're asked to submit. It's also not without limitations. Submission is not without limitations. It doesn't mean that anyone can tell you what to do or that you can't think for yourself. It doesn't mean that you can't have an opinion or even respectfully object to something. It doesn't mean you're to obey blindly. There's even times you're not supposed to submit. Like if someone asks you to do something bad, do you do it? If someone tries to get you to do something evil, like root for the Patriots, are you going to do it? Don't do it. You have God's permission. You have God's permission not to do it, right? I enjoyed that a little too much. But really, if somebody tries to get you to do something that's against God's word, don't submit, right? Then we must obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. It's also not to be a tool of domination control, and abuse. That is not submission. The reason that we recoil from this topic, this thing that God wanted to bless us with, but we recoil from it, is because there's so many who misuse these verses to dominate, control, and abuse. I knew this was widespread, but I didn't realize how much so until I was speaking at a women's conference in Uganda when I was there with Sister Sylvia. This topic came up, and one of the women, partway through the conference, asked me in the middle of a session, how do I submit to my husband when he's beating me? We talked about how submission does not mean giving in to abuse but more and more began to unravel as she talked, and it became clear that this was a daily occurrence for these women. It turns out they were forced to begin each day by kneeling before their husbands to show submission, and he would then beat her for no reason other than to remind her who was in charge and that she better keep in line. 
There were no men present at the conference, and so I dared to ask, how many of you are experiencing this? Almost every single woman out of a room of several hundred raised their hand. And worse yet, every one of these women were married to pastors or church leaders. It still brings me to tears. It still keeps me up nights. So let me clearly state that this is not what the Lord intended. That is a demonic distortion of the word, and it has nothing to do with submission, nothing to do with walking in love, walking in light, walking filled with the Spirit, or imitating Christ's sacrificial love. It has nothing to do with it. Am I telling the truth? Yes. Yes. You know, sometimes people ask me why I do missions, why that's important to me. They somehow have the idea it's about sightseeing or cultural interest or something. It's because distortion of the word of God wrecks lives. It's because not having the word of God wrecks lives, but then having it and distorting it wrecks lives. There are women, godly women, being beaten every single day because the ones who are supposed to love them had a lack of understanding of the word. They didn't understand how to study the scriptures for themselves. They didn't understand you can't just yank one verse out of context. You have to look at a whole chapter of loving, giving yourself up, sacrificing, putting the other one first, and stooping. I'm not sure where all this broadcast will be seen, but I want to say there is never a call to raise a hand against a woman, a child, an elderly person, or a disabled person in anger. There is never a cause. Never a cause. And if you are doing that, if you are doing that, I lovingly tell you, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. That is not what he meant when he told us to submit. That is not submission. Fifth, it's also not submission. It is not meant to be a curse. We know that because our lovingly, loving Heavenly Father only works for our good ever. It's for our benefit. You can read more about that in Luke 11, 11. So we'll talk more about this not being a curse in a minute, but that's a summary of what submission is not. So what is submission? Submission is voluntarily cooperating with someone First out of love and respect for God, and then out of love and respect for that person. We must look for every opportunity to humbly serve in the power of God's spirit. I really like that quote by Tyndale. And if you notice that word first there, if first out of love and respect, submission to others flows first out of a soft, tender heart of submission toward God. 
I love this quote by Mother Teresa, which reflects that. It says, make sure that you let God's grace work in your souls by accepting whatever he gives you and giving him whatever he takes from you. True holiness consists of doing God's work with a smile. Isn't that beautiful? I love that heart attitude. True submission is voluntary. It's willingly given. If you're making someone submit, that's just control. Likewise, if you're submitting begrudgingly, that's just a ruse. True submission is also out of love and respect. Did you notice way at the end of that section we read, it talked about wives must respect their husbands. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it seems like whenever I see TV, something is portraying the husbands and the fathers like they're idiots. Can I say that? I don't know what it is, if there's some sort of a conspiracy going on, but instead of respecting these heads of the household, we keep seeing how they're treated like they're stupid or idiotic or oblivious or something. That's so not right. Don't buy into that. That is so not cool. We are to work out of love and respect. Even more concerning from what I see on TV, I see in real life more and more wives where they're kind of treating their husbands like the errand boy. Have you seen that? Where it's like snap your fingers and tell your errand boy what to do. That's concerning because it says right here, wives must respect their husband. That's not optional. You must. It doesn't mean you have to like everything he does. It doesn't mean you might not even challenge him on some stuff, but you must respect him. Just as husbands are told, you must love your wives. And it isn't the googly eye type of love like when you first met. It's that laying your life down. It's that putting the other person first. It's that stooping and saying, what do you want? Husbands must love their wives in that way. Submission is also a source of great blessing and benefits. Just th these are all throughout the word, but one of the places is Romans 13, 1 to 7, and it talks about the benefits when you submit, because it's not easy for any of us, but there are benefits. One is freedom from judgment from the Lord. I'll take that. I do not want to be judged by the Lord, right? Freedom from judgment, no fear of those in authority. You'll receive commendations, all the blessings of obedience. You'll be the recipient of good from authorities. You'll have a clear conscience. Those are just some of the few mentioned there. But another, and for me, the greatest benefit of submission is that it gives us a chance to succeed. And what I mean by that is, you're working together as a team. Because if any team, any group of people that you can think of, a marriage, a school, a church, whatever, if each member is pulling in their own direction, you will fail, guaranteed. They'll be pulling in opposite 
directions, and we know that they'll fail because a house divided cannot cannot stand. The Lord asks us to submit, not because one person has the monopoly on all the brains or all the anything. It's not because one is better than the other. It's because he's so concerned that as a team that we will succeed. The Lord asks us to submit to one another, not because one is less, but in order that we can succeed as a team. And you might be listening and saying, you know, Pastor Greta, um, submission's hard. Everybody wants to do it their way. And are you just sort of candy coating cabbage? <laughs> nope. Submission is not easy, but it is so freeing. If you bring a matter that you really care about to the right person and you make your plea, you make your case as best you can, you can leave it right there. You're free of it and you don't have to carry it anymore. Now it's in God's hands. You're in the clear before the Lord, which is what I really want. You're in the clear before the Lord. You're at peace. You maintained unity and you have a chance to succeed as a team because you're not divided, somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those are just a few of the benefits of submission. The Lord is longing for his bride, and submission is key to her shining gloriously. Three, who's required to submit? Everyone. Did you ever see that commercial for Leo's? It seems to be on all the time. Leo's Deli and Bakery. And he says, what's so good about Leo's? Everything. Okay, so we're going to do that for this. Who's required to submit? Everyone. Everyone. Very good. You're paying attention. I love it. You can read all throughout chapter 5 and chapter 6 and see everyone. Wives, children, uh, employees, everyone has to submit to someone somehow. Even husbands have to submit to how God wants them to treat their wives. And all of us, no matter our position, listen to verse 21, quote, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. That's backed up in Romans 13.1. It says, everyone, let me hear it, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, so they're restating it, reiterating, this is from God. Jesus stooped to submit to the Father. Surely that's not too low for us. And it's when we look the most like him who we're imitating. Mutual submission, submitting to one another. Mutual submission. It's one of the ways that we best bring glory to the Lord and light to the world. And it's your chance to shine in a garment fit for his bride. You know, for those of us who have been Christians for a while, 
challenges like this can look a little bit different. We might not outright defy authorities like we did when we were young, but we do it in subtle ways, let's just say. Subtle defiance is not submission. Let me say that again in case anybody was checking their watch, checking the alarm on the meatloaf. Subtle defiance is not submission. Our boss asks us to do something, and we tell ourselves, well, she doesn't really know the inner workings of this job, and so we'll just do it our way. Subtle defiance. Our pastor asks us to keep a matter quiet, and we think, well, it would be so much better for others to know how to pray. <laughs> Subtle defiance. Someone in authority gives you a directive that isn't ungodly, but we say, God told me differently. Can I tell you, that wasn't God. God gave the authority to those individuals. Our husbands ask us not to do that, and we find a way around it. Or we hope he'll forget. <coughs> Am I right about this? Yeah. Come on, I'm not the only one, I know it. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm not the only one. The reason why I know about this is because I do it. I've done it. We find subtle ways to get around it. James used to have these Hawaiian shirts that were beyond obnoxious. Sorry, hon, they just were beyond obnoxious. <laughs> he didn't want me to throw them out, so I didn't. But they may have met with some unfortunate laundry accidents. <laughs> it's just possible. Just possible. I laughed about it for a while, and I'm certainly not going to go to hell over it, but <laughs> after a time, do you know my heart was pricked? I started thinking, now wait a minute, do I only submit when I want to? And is that submission, really, if I only do it when I want to? Do I do it when I like the results? See, it's important to look at these things when they're small because small acts of defiance can grow into larger ones. I want to tell you a true story as we're uh, approaching the end of our time together, and I, I think it will illustrate some of what we're talking about. Believe it or not, you've got to stretch your imagination. Believe it or not, I used to be a basketball player. Okay? I used to play basketball. This is, this is a true story. It was a big game between our team and our rival. The score had been close throughout. Time was almost out with the score tied, tension mounted. My teammate Sheila somehow got the ball. And I've got to be honest, I'm not proud of this, but my initial internal response was, oh, no, not Sheila. Anybody but Sheila. But it was too late. Now, for those who don't know, at times like this, you want the ball to get into the hands of the high percentage shooters, and nobody could accuse Sheila of that. Okay? <laughs> she had the ball now, and there was nothing we could do about it. She made a fast break for the basket. Well, a sort of fast break. <laughs> really a moderately slow break for the basket. 
And she was dribbling high and concentrating hard, okay? And amazingly, she was wide open as she made her way to the basket. Not a single soul was guarding her. Our team was all screaming at her. The whole crowd was really getting into it. Their cheers ratcheted up a level as the final seconds were ticking down, and our fate rested in Sheila's next move. The noise reached a fevered pitch. Encouraged on by their screams, Sheila put the ball in the air, and it was a a layup of sorts, and it went up, up, the ball went up, and it circled the rim, and it circled the rim, and it went in. One of the first times all season she had made a basket, and it went in just before the buzzer, and now the crowd went crazy. Sheila's face lit up. She was ecstatic. She was thrilled. She was screaming. She had tears running down her face. She was crying and jumping for joy. I mean, this was the big moment of her life. She was so excited until someone told her she had just made that shot in the wrong basket. She had won the game all right for the other team. We had all been screaming, no, Sheila, no, wrong basket. But she had heard, go, Sheila, go. And it had just fired her up all the more. Instead of being a hero, she realized that she had lost and caused the whole team to lose. Her joy of victory quickly turned into the agony of defeat. Our hearts went out to her, but we were crushed by our loss. We had worked so hard. That story is what I think of whenever someone tells me that they got away with something. Whenever they tell me that their boss didn't know about it, but... Whenever someone tells me they pulled a fast one on authorities or a pastor or their husband or whoever, it might be exciting for the moment. You might feel like a winner, have that thrill. You may even have people cheering for you, but you just made a shot in the wrong basket. You think it was harmless, but in reality, you just helped the enemy's team win. Because not submitting is called rebellion. And 1 Samuel 15.23 tells us that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's serious. So you participated with the enemy and literally scored one for him. You may have gotten something you wanted or had a fleeting high, but the net result was not good. No light going out to a lost world, no seeing to God's dreams, no being the shining bride. You lost and hurt the whole team in the process. Wrong basket, Sheila. Next time you think you got away with something, because sometimes nobody knows but you. But the next time you think 
you got away with something, tell yourself, wrong basket, Sheila. Wrong basket. So I need your help for this part. When I go like this, I need you to say nice and loud and clear, wrong basket, Sheila. If you're thinking the rules don't apply to you, if you think you know better, if you're cheating the government, if you're hiding things from your spouse, if you're not being teachable with your pastor or leaders, if you're running the show and treating your husband like your water boy, if you're treating your parents as peers, if you're strutting instead of stooping, if you're rejecting submission as old-fashioned and going your own way, if you're imitating anyone other than Jesus, you've got it. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. The Lord is longing for his bride. He's desperately longing for his bride and for her to shine gloriously. A key part of that is walking in submission. I didn't have time today to fully lay out all this. This is a huge chapter, a huge topic. But know that submission is a good thing. Don't take your cue from what the media is telling you about it. The Lord had a good plan not to curse you, but to bless you so you have a chance to win. It's a good thing. So what one step will you take to further imitate Jesus? See, it all comes down to that. In a second, the lights will go out, we'll all give each other a hug and a pat on the back, and we go home to eat our potato salad and meatloaf. But the only thing that would have mattered is how much you let the Lord interact with you about this topic in his word. How much you let the Lord in, whether to convict you, encourage you, whatever, and what steps you're going to take. Because none of us have reached that place that we don't need to take next steps in Jesus. So what one thing will you do differently? to imitate Christ just a little bit more this week. Ask yourself that and write it down on your paper because we're prone to forget. What one thing will you talk to the Lord about? What one thing will you do differently? Because that's the only way for true growth and we all want to be about growing. So let's stand and present ourselves to the Lord. Dear Lord, we just come to you today and we just can sense your beautiful presence and your wooing us. And we're so thankful for the love you poured out and the example that you are. We love you, Lord. We love you. Lord, it's easy to kneel at the manger, but it's harder to kneel at the cross. But we know in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. We choose to bow now to willingly submit to your word, to your ways, even when they don't make sense to us. 
and to those we choose to bow to those you've placed in authority. Thank you that you created this plan. And when you did so, you had our best in mind. Help us to keep your desires and your interest in mind for your beautiful bride. Fill us afresh, Lord, with your spirit. If nothing else is done today, Lord, let there be a fresh impartation of your Holy Spirit into each of our lives because sometimes we know what to do right. We need the strength to do it to continually grow, to continually be filled and constantly grow in imitating you. We need you, Lord. Help us to constantly imitate you, to follow you well, and be a shining example of your glorious bride. We love you big. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at joycc.info.